coast to coast and around the globe, you're listening to Tarot Today Radio. We are the show that brings you the world of tarot, interviews with your favorite tarot authors, teachers, and deck creators, as well as news from the guild, interesting topics, fun, and readings. I am your host, Dax Carlisle. I'm the founder and president of the Tarot Guild, the international organization for tarot lovers, students, and professionals since 2004. I'm a professional tarot advisor, numerologist, hypnotherapist, and life coach coming to you live from Tucson, Arizona. And let me introduce the other host of Tarot Today Radio. She's also a tarot advisor, a certified tarot master and crystal Reiki master, and vice president and director of communications for the Tarot Guild. And here she is live from Amarillo, Texas, the fabulous Mary Brown. Happy Psychic Saturday, Mary. Hey, Dax. Hey, everybody. Happy Psychic Saturday. Here we are. we got a great show for you today, a fabulous interview with none other than Chiro Marchetti. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. It's a listener party in the chat room, folks. Come join us in the chat room. You can talk to Mary and I live as we all listen in to Mary's interview. Go over to chat.com psychictalk.net that's chat.psychictalk.net and you'll find the chat room right below the player you can listen to the show there and the chat room will materialize below the uh, player there you can jump in and comment and everything like that you know Mary last week we had on Sharona talking about the boho pixie tarot yes that was a blast, and what a, you guys have to listen in archive if you haven't already. It was so wild. It was almost like, hmm, it was almost like Pixie was having fun with us on the air. Yeah, uh, Sharon and I kept getting knocked off, and we had a call back into the show. <laughs> we're like, okay, there's some energy going on here. Plus, we were still in Mercury retrograde, I think. But I brought that up because. Um, you know, we got to find out all these things that we didn't know about Sharona. And I was thinking the same yeah. thing about you today. A lot of people mm-hmm. don't realize that you were a uh, Hollywood reporter and interviewer. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I um, I don't always lead with that. You know what? You know what's funny uh, is, and I think this is true for anybody, when you go from one industry to another – and I think even Shiro could talk about this too. Um, maybe we did. I can't remember. It's such a great interview. <laughs> I feel like, wow, I'm, I'm like, this is exciting. But um, when you go from one industry to another, you find that just like in tarot, how it's a collection of archetypes, a lot of times the things that we're familiar with in that industry that we worked with and stuff become our collection of archetypes that we take to the next one. So maybe I don't talk about it a lot, but I I feel like I'm always referencing things in Hollywood because it's my comparison, you know. So is it, yeah. Right. You know, if people ask yeah. me, I'll talk about it forever. <laughs> I know. I I love that, you know, you've done all the big interviews with the big stars, and now you're interviewing the the stars of tarot, and that's why I bring this up, because that's why Mary's doing the interview, folks, because, yeah, she did this in a previous life, you know. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, don't don't under don't uh, don't oversell my my interview <laughs> skills. Let's let's keep our expectations reasonable. You know, even the pros get mm. nervous around the get nervous around you know big big talent. You know, and Ciro uh, Marchetti, he's an A lister to me. <laughs> like I will, this is amazing. Yeah, it's, it's not. He was the number one person I wanted to interview because I was so fascinated by by his work. And you have some of his decks. I have some of everybody, right? How can you resist? Most mm-hmm. of us can't resist. One of yeah. the decks you talk about in the interview I, I just got from U.S. Games, Caro Decortif. I can't say it the way he says it, you know. But you guys also talk about Mystic Palette Tarot. Oh, God, there's so many good things. So we're going to find out right now. We're going to listen to the interview. Uh, We're going to pop – Mary and I are going to pop into the chat room and join all of you, and we're just going to all chat and uh, listen in live to the interview with Chiro Marchetti. Um, We're also going to come back live after the interview, so, so stay tuned. You know, when you hear the interview wrapping up, stay on the line listening there because we're going to come back live and we'll have some things for you at the end there. So here we go without any further ado, right, Mary? Yes, away we go. All righty. Hello, Shiro. Welcome to the Tarot Today radio show. Uh, We are so happy you could join us today. And I have... So many questions, questions that uh, our listeners who are, you know, fans, you have such a fan base at the Tarot Guild and on this radio show, and I'm I'm one of them. I We all have a lot of your decks, but you have a new deck coming out through U.S. Games. Uh, I think it's now out and available now. Your Tarot Decorative or Decorative. Um, and it, it's so interesting. It combines elements of both the writer Wade Smith and Tarot de Marseille traditions uh, in the minor arcana. And I, it's in such a clever way that it makes me excited about working with it. So I have to wonder, did that idea to do the minors that way, was that like a sudden strike of inspiration or was it something that you know was like a riddle, riddle for you? Like, how am I going to approach this? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I hope I can answer your various questions with some degree of uh, (laughs) convincibility. Um, In reference to the Tarot Decoratif, yes, I pronounce it with a French title. I seem to have a penchant for French titles in my various decks. Um, No, it wasn't an impulse. It was um, based on the fact that I was attending a tarot conference uh, as a vendor and so I was really just at the back of the audience and and from my booth as it were I could listen in on the various presentations one of them was um, by a guy called Russell Sturgis and um, I was rather impressed by his keynote presentation it was a slick presentation but uh, in addition to that, he was making sense. He was providing a rationale for the Marseillaise, which as a genre, I wasn't particularly interested in. I mean, I, I quite liked the, the cuter 
old uh, woodcuts for sure, but it didn't do that much for me. And I really hadn't had that much interest in um, working with it or making adaptions of it. Uh, but as I say, this, this caught my, my attention because as a graphic designer, he was providing a kind of historical and symbolic rationale for a lot of the elements in the Marseilles, which made sense to me as a graphic designer. He proposed the theory that uh, the Cathars had used the the imagery of, of the earlier Tara decks to really uh, project uh, meanings of their religious faith, but in a manner that would be acceptable and tolerable to the overbearing reach of the Vatican, and um, they try to avoid um, persecution uh, as a result of that. Mm. So they disguise imagery in a kind of um, playful way, if you will. Um, now, not everyone agrees with that theory, uh, but nevertheless, it appealed to me, it made sense to me, and minor details that he emphasized make made perfect sense. For example, the cross-legged pose of the emperor, which is physically or ergonomically rather uncomfortable, so why would anyone want to depict it in that manner? And the, co and the coincidence of that versus, or along with, say, the cross-legged <clears throat> pose of the upside-down hangman, um, suggested, he suggested that those physical characteristics were in fact symbols of a kind of um, graphic number four uh, mm -hmm. with a little which was the, the watermarked brand logo that the Cathars used in their paper making process. You see, so there's all these little new wow. things. I thought, wow, that's pretty cool, you know? And so it yeah. intrigued me into taking a second look at the Marseilles. And um, one has to be very careful when redesigning cherished older decks because they come with a very eager and enthusiastic and faithful uh, fan base or following. You know, people have grown up with it. It has historical uh, precedent and authenticity, if you will. So play with it, adapt it at your peril because... A lot of people simply would not want or be interested in any tweaking of their beloved system. So, in regards to the majors, I try to be as respectful as possible. Um, the charm of the woodcuts is all very well. It is charming. But at the risk of offending their followers even more, the um, technical... Um, ability of the woodcut, the standards of the woodcut was not the best example of that art form, of that medium, you know. Um, yeah. That's because throughout Taro history very often um, the average Taro printer really couldn't justify paying the top artists of the day. You know, the church mm. and wealthy patrons already hired them. <laughs> so um, right. the princes were, were less, were dealt with a sort of a, a lesser degree, and no offence meant. It is 
Well, it did. Furthermore, they were factories. Yeah. You know, let's not kid ourselves. They were churning out these decks at quite a yeah. volume. We're not talking about sort of faithful monks sitting there for years, sweating <laughs> over these works of art. They were produced in bulk relative to the production um, capacities of the day. And so very often I, as a, as a designer, as a graphic designer, I look at these images and whilst they were cutely appealing, they lacked the detail that would justify many of the meanings that were given to them after the fact. You know, there is no evidence wow. that I'm aware of in the voice of the people, the artists or the craftsmen who actually produce these decks. Everything we know or we are led to believe about the meanings have been written decades and centuries after the fact. And they become yes. the fact by the yes. retelling. Oh my God! I always did. I oh wow! You know, yes, thank you. Because <laughs> I, I nobody says that. Nobody, you know, it's so uh, it's so difficult. I think everyone has their mythology mythology of it, you know. And but yeah. I love that you did. So you were inspired by it by what that um, guy at the symposium, I forgot, it just told me, Russell, somebody was saying about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, as I say, it made sense and it gave me an opportunity, well, it, it, it caused me to look at the the deck in a new light. <clears throat> and I, yeah. and so my intention was not to improve on it because that's, awfully subjective and arrogant to even claim one can achieve that. But I did want to um, reach a balance which was to um, clearly use the Marseille's look and feel, its colouring, its composition, mm -hmm. the poses, characters, etc., etc., so that anybody familiar with the Marseille's would could relate to those images. They would recognize them. But right. I did them, again, my style, and in a way that I hoped might appeal to a, 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 a different audience who, like myself, may not have been particularly enamored uh, with the older historical ones. You know? I felt there was an opportunity there to sell, no, and I don't mean that in a commercial way, but to project the, the charm of the Marseilles in a, in a more appealing style. But having said that, I did pay due respect to the tradition. I, as I repeat, yeah. I, I followed the color It's recognizable. And it, yeah. And so that was the, the balance. I don't know how successful I managed to be in that, but that was certainly the, the objective, yeah. Um, and, um, but, I love that. and I, I did a lot of research. Now, I hope that people don't just casually dismiss this just based on the look of the deck. They may like it, they may not, but if they buy it or before they make any reviews on it, I would hope that they bother to read the book, the companion book, because mm. as I say, that, and just sort of like, 
provided I can be. I have given an explanation of why yeah. I did what I did, and they don't have to agree with it, but at least take that into consideration, huh? because I think it's relevant. There's a lot of elements in the Marseilles that I simply could not agree with. I mean, so much mm. has been written that my opinion has sort of over-romantically exaggerated what is supposedly in those images. They, 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 um, they suggest the most incredibly nuanced subtlety in, in, in mm-hmm. the details, you know, the expression of a face or the, the oh, yeah. exact angle of a pointing finger that if you were to draw a line between that and the flower in the third card next to it, perfectly aligned. You know, I mean, no, I, I just didn't get that. I didn't agree with it. Um, it's sort yeah. of um, rationale and justification for the colors that are used, you know, that they have religious, mythological uh, associations. Yes, and probably no. The real reason, mm. I mean, it, if the use of color was as important in its significance as many books have suggested, then by default, there would have been more um, attempts by the various printers in the region of Avignon, where all these were produced, to be consistent. You know, if the use of red or green or blue, whatever, was that big a deal, they would have all been aware yeah. of that. Would have tried to be complicit um, in the use of that. Uh, but they're not. If you compare various uh, decks, they vary. And so in my cynical commercial <laughs> opinion based on my image of print and my tours of um, print factories in Germany when I visited, I concluded mm-hmm. that they as vulnerable or subject to commercial criteria as printers yeah. and designers are today. They used the colors that probably they had available. For example, yes. uh, the, the, the use of, the, of blue as a color was very limited. Um, and why? Not because of its aesthetics or because of its mythological, spiritual, potential <laughs> meaning, but because it was expensive. The pigments to blue were disproportionately expensive. Therefore, blue yeah. was used uh, r- limited and for special occasions, let's say, or special use, i.e. the Virgin Mary was often depicted in blue because, like, she was worth it, you know? And so <laughs> I, yeah. I, I am cynical, I'm sorry. I am. Yeah. Oh, my. Well, there's a whole other, I mean, we could have a whole conversation about color, you know, just because um, if you look at, what people say about the significance and symbolism of colors. There's color therapy. People say all kinds of different things. Um, mm-hmm. Those theories we have today are are not what those colors meant to people in the 1400s. You know, in the 1500s, and that you know. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't have those same <laughs> kind of, you know, concepts that you know book writers have told us. You know, that we need to believe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
But, you know, the, um, the other thing that I, I was thinking about, too, is, you know, we're talking about the decorative, and that's, you know, mass market available through U.S. games. It's accessible, to, you know, but you can't go online and not, not find the mass market things, right? You know, they're being marketed to us. But yep. I think what's interesting, about your work is that you also have your own and you make these self-published decks and they're like the Cadillac of tarot card decks, I think, right? They're always so highly sought after people gush over them. It's like, well, I got the self-published version, you know? <laughs> I'm like, oh, man. Um, but, you know, there's that kind of fun thing where people get really excited and I took a look at your website, and for everybody listening, uh, there's a link to Chiro's website uh, on our show page here. You want to go over there and, and just explore, take a look around. But so many people think, you know, they love your self-published decks. And what I saw of your latest, um, the Mystic Palette Hero, um, it just looks gorgeous. And can you give us a sense of... Well, one, when is it going to be available? And also, what, what's the concept for it? Like, what do we have to look forward to? Well, um, I produce all of my decks initially as self-published. Um, I sell, yes, there are, um, they go for a higher price because they are producing in significantly lower quantities, and that's the most influential sort of factor that influences um, the price of a debt. Um, and then, well, I, I produce them in, in relatively small numbers for two reasons. One, because I, I can never tell how well they may or may not do, and I want to avoid getting stuck with a whole untold inventory in my, in my garage. I'm being a little bit flippant because I've been fortunate enough that they do sell. And at that point, I have the option to print more, uh, to let them go out of print, or to license them um, to the, the two major publishers that I work with, which is US Games and Relic. Um, when I do the latter, uh, it's not for financial um, benefit per se, because the difference between mass-produced decks or the sales of them, the royalties from them, and selling them direct is actually pretty close. Uh, but I do, you know, get more satisfaction in a sense from the mass-produced ones because if I were to sell 1,000 copies of a, a self-published edition, yeah, that's nice. Of course it's nice. But it's not as nice as knowing that, say, 50,000 people have bought the mass-produced edition, even if financially there's no difference, you know? Uh, because it's just more satisfying, more people. It's good to feel that, you know, there's more acceptance of one's work. Now, um, throughout my last 18 years, uh, I have been sort of branded or pigeonholed as a digital artist. And that's not necessarily a good thing, because a lot of people kind of look down on that medium. And um, I've been very conscious of that. So over the last few projects I have deliberately um, textured my work as it were so that it doesn't 
have that uh, recognisable slickness that one might associate with rendered mm-hmm. uh, art. You know, I, I texture it, I, I make it less digital in a sense, even though it still is. And um, in each deck, I sort of like tweak that somewhat, you know, I've exaggerated that that feel yeah. and style. Now, in the mystic, um, once again, in an attempt to appease the varying tastes of uh, the Toro community, customers and collectors alike, which is, of course, an impossibility. You know, this Goldilocks deck <laughs> is, is impossible. But I have attempted to at least minimize it, uh, the, the choice, excuse me, expand on the choice by, by, pr- by producing the deck in two options, two principal objects. Um, one is a full color, glossy, uh, metallic edged, you know, all the bells and whistles. And the other one is a more sober, sort of sepia tinted, vintage look with a plainer matte finish. And so people can choose between those two. Um, I also offered, and I kind of regret it now, but I offered a third option whereby people could uh, order a variable of the back of the reverse design. Uh, the front would be wow. generic. The back would have someone's name and their and their zodiac sign. So literally, it would be one deck produced just right. for them. And so that's the ultimate collector's sort of catch, you know. And um, yeah. it was a real pain to do because uh, <laughs> the order, and I'm blessed to say, uh, at, at far more numbers than I expected because they weren't cheap. You know, they I had to do each one. Yeah. You can imagine the printing costs involved in just mm. doing one copy of a deck. You know, it's absurd. But so I managed to do it. But um by the time the orders came in and people would either use their real name, an abbreviation of that, or their professional reading name, you know, like Moonlight Express or, or whatever. It, <laughs> it was really an administrative hassle to keep all this organized. And, um, well, it's done. It's there at the printers that we speak. So, so fingers crossed, you know. <laughs> Always trying to up the answer, well, Boy, and, yeah. you know, I, I can understand that, doing that, and I think it can happen a lot where we're like, okay, I'm, I'm really going to up the ante, but then that translates just put on my desk, you know, <laughs> doing that. Um, you, know, you know, let's talk about art for a second. You know, I, I guess I don't, um, you know, I, what you described about people, Talking about reference, you know, calling it digital art. Uh, I don't. I mean, I just think, you know, okay, well, can they do it? Because <laughs> digital art to me, um, that sounds like a lot of math, and I don't see a lot of math when I look at your art. But, anyways, let's talk about this a bit. You know, to me, great art evokes an emotion within us, and. The thing that I think is kind of unique, though, about tarot artists is that people are holding their artwork in their hands. Some people are 
putting it on their third eye, you know, or doing a chakra, you know, it's very intimate contact. They're studying the cards. They're, you know, looking at it up close, you know, and, and in an effort to connect and to um, remember, you know, what the cards mean, <laughs> you know, to learn, too. Um, but it's much more uh, close contact uh, with, you. I think, any artist, artist working in other genres, people aren't you know, connecting so closely with it. And I just wonder, like, is that, is, is it something that that comes to mind when you create a deck? And, and just even just how do you feel about that? Because it's kind of weird. I don't think outside the, <laughs> the tale world people are doing that with artwork. I could be wrong, but I've never done that with a painting. Mm. It's uh, a very crucial element to be considered. Um, first of all, in, in your initial reference to sort of digital art being mathematical, yes, it can be, uh, but, uh, but um, you have to better understand what's involved. It isn't just a case of sort of typing in numbers and producing Pixar, you know, uh, video game kind of things. No, it's in my case, it's far more natural in the sense that I just have a digital pen in my hand. So the, the mm. physical action involved in producing an image is quite similar. You know, I have a pen in my hand, I press on a surface, that surface produces an image which I'm seeing on a screen as opposed to paper. Uh, in that right. sense, it's business. Uh, the advantages of it is that it's far easier for me to make adjustments. You know, I can vary after mm. the fact the color, the size, the position, the inter et cetera, et cetera. And so ultimately it's the, the it's like a, an, it's an eraser on steroids, if you will. Uh, <laughs> some people may, some people may interpret that as like an easy route, uh, sort of a, a cheat sheet. Uh, that's absurd. I see it as a creative tool. The ability to look at one's own work and think, hmm, would it be better if I tweak this? or adjusted that. Uh, that isn't cheating. It's part of the creative process, for Christ's sake. Huh? Um, absolutely. So, but in, in regard to the uh, reaction people will have to it, yes, as an art form, I, I've tried and I can't think of anything that comes close to the symbiotic relationship of the artwork, the imagery, and its users, the readers. Yeah. It's, it's a, I think, a unique experience because yeah. not only do readers um, like the imagery, if indeed they do, uh, not only do they react to it visually as one would with other art forms, um, fine art forms, but they're... Part of the main ingredients, of course, is its use as a tool. It's the, I repeat, the symbiotic relationship of how the reader not only responds to the imagery emotionally, but then applies that or has that emotional effect uh, influence how they read and how it sort of uh, triggers their intuition plus their sort of academic yeah. know-how. Now, so that's, a, that's a, something I absolutely take into consideration. I am fully, fully aware 
of how these images will be used, not just admired. They're not going to be just pinned to a wall and admired, you know. They are going to be used. Yeah. And so try to put myself in the position of a reader, and by default one can only do that in the most generic way, because every reader is distinct. Uh, but to, yes, um, try to create an image that will elicit an emotional response, okay, uh, that will hopefully uh, cause a more intimate and stronger reaction to the imagery than than other decks. Um, that's subjective, once again. But that is my goal. I want people to sort of... I produce images that are deliberately neutral. In many cases, they're very sort of... Uh, expressions are neutral. They're neither sad nor happy. Um, they are somewhat ambiguous. Once again, deliberately. I mean, what is that person in card XYZ thinking? Um, I mm. try to illustrate them in a way that they could be thinking anything. <laughs> and it's up to the reader to put words in that character's mouth or mind, depending on what they're reading, who they're reading for, what the cards next to it are, etc., etc., etc. Sure. So, yeah. all, of, all of that. That's amazing. And I, and, and I think that that's great because that's, you're so right about that. We, you know, do have to put, you know, as readers, that's our job. It's like, what is the character trying to tell me? I think is some, sometimes the way that we, that we look at it. Um, but I'm, I, yeah, it, it's, it is a unique kind of art that you're, that you're doing. And um, I think it's, it's so cool that at least, well, one, we know you take this kind of stuff into consideration and you have that awareness of it. So at least one artist out there is thinking about it in the chair. <laughs> That's how I think about it. Um, but, you know, my goodness, um, you have such a wealth of, of experience, not, not just in tarot, but your, your graphic design um, work and businessman and and all of these things you know it, it to me it's like you're probably um the you know when somebody says like who makes tarot decks you're the one person that you're like sure you say the first name and everybody knows you know because they're like these that's the guy <laughs> you know the, the brad pitt of the tarot world <laughs> the celebrity that's how i look at it all, all my references are hollywood <laughs> but you no, that that body of work, that wealth of knowledge that you've experiences. Let's do a little time traveling, okay? If you could go back in time and talk to the young Shiro who's just starting out, you know what? What might be the one thing you'd want to tell him? The one piece of advice that you would give the young you? Are you referring to this in a in a in a in a life approach or taro approach? Any Anything that comes to mind, just that thing that you wish somebody, you, you would have told yourself or that you wish somebody had told you, like, all right, you're, gonna, you're coming out into the world, you're, you're a young man about to hit your path, and mm. yeah, both well, ways um, before you try. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I've done quite a bit 
in my life. I, I have few regrets, far more, uh, far less than many people, I assume. Um, I've, I've worked. I grew up in the UK. Worked in Europe. Worked in South America. Worked in in the US. I've been out of work. I've employed over 30 people. Um, I've loved and lost. Um, so uh, the full ga- uh, gamut, yeah. And um, they've all sort of chipped away and made me what I ended up being. Now, if anything, looking back, um, one common factor is I, I'm actually completely lacking in confidence. I'm I'm always trying to defend my tardiness. I'm defending so many things. And um, looking back, I would say to my younger self, you know, like chill out and have a little bit more confidence. It will work out, you know, just plug away. Whereas at the beginning, I tended to just be panicked into some wrong decisions because I was worried that it just wouldn't work out, you know. And so I took the safer, the safer road. And uh, I think that I missed out on a lot of things because, because of that. I could have done a lot more adventurous things in my earlier days. And, um, yeah, I kind of regret, like, oh, why didn't I do that that um, world tour to Tibet and back, you know, on a bike or what? I'm being sarcastic. I was so sad to say that uh, Mr. Mr. Average, Mr., you know, play by the rules kind of thing. A bit boring, probably. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it, that's great advice, though, because... Even even when we're not young, you know, you know, a lot of people that call into our show, um, they they have um, that kind of thing too, where they're they don't they don't have the confidence that they need to to actually have the experiences that they want to have too. Um, sometimes it's you've done a lot of your life, you know, so many things in your life and traveled and. There's so many people that are just afraid to even do that. So that's terrific advice that, boy, I wish we we had all heard, you know, beginning stage, you know, to know that just just chill out. It's going to work out. <laughs> I love that. Um, you know, you, you put that idea of, you know, touches on something else I wanted to ask you. You know, I, I, I tend to, you know, <laughs> because I uh, – came into the tarot world from from Hollywood that's kind of my collection of archetypes and um in a way I see um tarot deck artists as being oh, a bit similar to comic book movie makers you know, um yeah. because they're like you said taking these beloved characters and putting their own spin on them and those characters mm-hmm. have a very uh, opinionated if not um rabid um, fan base <laughs> I would say if you've ever been to Comic Con <laughs> but I think it takes a lot of guts to do it and you know a, a strong spine kind of where what, what do you think yours came from what what made you able to like <sighs> to say like no you know I want to do this I'm, I'm going to see what happens like you were talking about with taking on the Marseille well um Initially, I didn't have that courage. Uh, my first deck um, was very much 
sticking to the rules and keeping relatively faithful to the original characters, so to speak, as they had been depicted uh, previously. It was only later that I sort of like gambled a little more, said, no, I'm going to do it my way. But to use your analogy of the comic book, I, I get that. I mean, you know, whether it's sort of the quintessential Superman, Batman, superhero scenario, and people grew up with that, you know, with the, not just how they were depicted, you know, the costumes they wore, or what they said, or how, or the personalities that they were given. Um, if the movies, you know, several decades later, modified those preconceptions too much, yeah, it's not surprising that there was some sort of a kickback to that, you know? Um, now, having said that, they obviously have to keep up with the times, as it were. So one thing is for Hollywood to redesign the costumes and make them more muscly or sexy or whatever it happens to be. But if they started to play around a little bit too much, you know, and make the character have um, different characteristics of humor or, or attitude or whatever, then, yeah, I could... Imagine that would rub some people the wrong way. Now, in the case of uh, Tara, where, once again, there are predetermined characteristics for the various personalities in the cards, that's less of an issue, because um, who's to say that those preconcepts were correct in the first place? Once again, I harp on the fact that what people think of uh, and associate with older tarot cards is what they've written about them, not because that was determined by the people who created those images in the first place. So um, the truth, the, the, the accuracy, if you will, of those characters and how they are depicted by anyone, up for grabs in a sense, you know? Uh, so I didn't feel that I was obliged to uh, depict the characters in any sort of faithful way to what I had read in a book they, they were supposed to be. I had to depict them in such a way that there was some degree of recognition so readers could, you know, yeah, okay, they get it, and bingo, off they go and they read with it. But I didn't feel that I, was, I should have to be that restricted and faithful to the past. I think, and here's the thing, you do have to, then people, I, I, I'm going to offend people, I know it, but you, you can't live in the... That's what we do can't. here, you know, on the Zero Today show, we offend people, <laughs> we do, because you can't make everybody happy. I mean, there's, there's this sort of like romantic comfort blanket, if you will, um, of, of Taro's historic past and the archetypes, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, okay, but, you know, come on. For it to serve, truly serve a function, it has to adapt. It has to evolve. It has to reflect social norms, and now even more cultural norms. Taro is a worldwide phenomena. And so you have to attempt to reach a balance once again of of not detaching completely and ignoring that rich heritage 
but don't be pr- imprisoned by it either. And so, for example, yeah. when uh, I now you can go nuts and try and be so contemporary and cool and slick, and that would backfire. You know, if I was to depict the cards in today's settings. Uh, that's a mis- that's going to be an absolute mistake. So I always depict my characters in some safe historical setting, you know, be it sort of a quasi steampunky Renaissance twist, or more recently we say with my Lenormand in some Victorian or Downton Abbey kind of style. That's deliberate and safe. They, it allows me to inject certain sort of social criteria, but it's fashionably safe. By that, let me give you an example. In one of my cards, I'm trying to depict this sort of instant of of impatience, of of anxiety, and I depict a woman in the distance, you know, at the back of a room, looking to the foreground where I've depicted a telephone with the message implicitly suggesting that she's waiting for that damn phone to ring, okay? And uh, mm-hmm. I drop another a little clue that it's, you know, three minutes to midnight or something. In other words, there's a deadline involved, you know, and she's, and time's running out and, and the anxiety of waiting that phone to ring. Okay. Now, the phone is something, it's a sort of a, a very decorative uh, version of a uh, phone on a receiver, you know, an old fashioned phone, you know, with a cable and all the rest of it. Something that 90% of people looking at that card won't have used, you know, in this day of mobile phones. So one could argue, why didn't I put an iPhone in there or something? I'm being pedantic here. But the reason being that if you were to try to be too clever and too contemporary, that would backfire. Because then, if you, how do you depict someone, you know, what model iPhone are they using? What is the model of their hair? Is it a sort of a, a 50s, 60s mullet on a male or a beehive <laughs> on a woman or, or the right. or flared jeans of the 60s? You know, all those things, ironically, will date it far more than my Renaissance image ever would, you know? And so wow. it's a it's a never play on on symbolism and reference and context because sometimes you, one could be too clever and you and I repeat if I had done a, a, a tarot deck in the 60s and shown some hippie dude or, or later <laughs> in the 90s or something holding a, a really cool modern contemporary mobile phone that was actually the size of a loaf of bread with an antenna coming out of it it would look comical you know? Yeah. So yeah. what I use the more generic symbolisms that are, are archetypes, but not an archetype that was produced in the 14th century. I bring it up to date and is relevant. That's the intriguing yeah. balance. And that's where mm. I think my experience comes into play. Because as a graphic designer... I, I never describe myself as an artist. I find that pedantic, sort of like it's just too grand a title. I, I describe myself as an <laughs> illustrator. I tell stories, not lies. <laughs> I tell stories visually, and I used to tell stories for my clients in a visually efficient manner. 
going back to the yeah. idea of color and symbolism, uh, that is, in this multicultural, international world of taro, one has to be clear, uh, careful with that. Colors are not universal. Their symbols yeah. and their meanings are not universal. So it's absurd to get too tied up into this sort of academic pretense of having to be accurate to some ideological historical reference from Tara. I think it's it's um it's misdirection and it's too disciplined backfires. Yeah, I I think we it can cause you to miss the point is what I think. Um and, you know, and I and I think that, you know, a lot of what you're saying is is something that you know, from the other side of things as, you know, tarot readers and, and, you know, all of that stuff, what are people doing? Like, one of the first thing that, things that they do, they learn keywords. They learn, uh, you know, a, a keyword for, for every card, and then they put their hands on the tarot deck, and it's like, okay, well, how are you going to, you know, like, look for your keyword there? Uh, you know, it's it's totally backwards um, in a sense that they, here you are describing everything you're taking into consideration and that you're giving them to work at. And it's like they would do much better to open their eyes and uh, look at it and, you know, find their way to understand in that way instead of just trying to memorize a list of somebody's keywords, which disagree with somebody else's keywords. <laughs> it's, a, it's kind of a, uh, it's kind I'll of give you a funny thing. I'll give you another example, if I may. Um, mm-hmm. In the Mystic Palette deck, the most recent one, I've depicted the Ten of Wands in a, in a significantly different way. In most decks, including my own previous ones, it's some variation of some guy struggling along the road or whatever with ten heavy, presumably heavy, ones on his back as some kind of symbolic reference of this burden he has to carry. Mm-hmm. You know? And presumably in the 14th century that, that sort of like imagery would have been far more relevant. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people at some point in their lives of that era would indeed have carried a weight on their back and hence it served a perfect sort of visual analogy for that. Fast forward to our times and how many people have ever carried a physical weight on their back. <laughs> right. uh, unless like me, you Not a lot. Or a cheap and you carry the, the, um, the local box from Ikea or something, so that's about as close as it's going to get. <laughs> so, um, when yeah. I did the uh, Ten of Wands, okay, I I did a visual hats off um, to the traditional thing. I do show someone with some wands on their back. Okay, there's your connection for you, you know. But I only did five. Uh, and then I had the other five, of being merely a reflection in a mirror. And my message with that was that today, burdens are probably not physical. They are probably, for the most of us, emotional. We are concerned mm. about our 
finances, our health, our relationships, our careers, whatever it is that is our burden is an emotional one. And as such, the weight of those burdens is very ethereal, you know? It's not, it can't be put on a scale and quantified. Its weight is dependent on our interpretation of them, how it affects us. And very often, uh, one might argue that those weights, those concerns, are not even actual. They are imagined or they are exaggerated in our heads and hence the reflection in the mirror because they are not touchy-feely, they are in our head. But that doesn't mean they are, they're not equally burdensome, uh, whether it's yeah. genuinely something to worry about or it's merely exaggerated to the point of concern in our heads, it adds up to the same thing. We're worried about them, you know, and they become a burden. So is that psychological nuance that I play with, that in this case, the companion book does have to provide you more of an explanation with, but once it's been explained, I hope that most people will say, yeah, yeah, I can see that, I can relate to that, that's how I felt about this, this or this uh, circumstance yeah. in my life, you know? And it becomes a living, yeah. then the Torah becomes a living entity, and I think more powerful oh, yeah. because of that. Yeah, I, 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 it makes so much sense, and absolutely, you know, absolutely agree with that. It, and, you know, the Ten of Wands is a good example of it, because a lot of times that card, as a reader, comes up in a reading, and yeah, you think, okay, you got a lot on your plate, is kind of how I put it, often, um, because they don't, you know, they don't have a bunch of ones on their back, you know, and I, you know, but all those things going on in their life, all the things they've taken on are what causes the burdens. And, you know, we is oftentimes choose to create the burdens. So what you're talking about with the psychological, the feeling, you know, a lot of times it's just stress. And I, I do think, um, that's much more relatable. And, you know, talking about, you know, the, the idea of historical decks and respecting them, you know, you've, you've done now a Marseille. Um, you've done several um, tarot decks in the Rider-Waite-Smith tradition. You've done your own oracle um, and also a Lenormand. But you haven't done a soft deck. You haven't taken on Lady Frida's work and her whole <laughs> rabid fan base. Um, and there's other, you know, the Visconti Forza, the Solabusca, maybe even the Minkiot, all these other traditions that are out there. Yeah. Have those, you know, has there been anything that's like interested you about those yet in the way, you know, you got interested in, in the Marseille for this New deck that's already mm -hmm. um, In the case of the Marseilles and the Ride right Away Smith, um, no offense to Pamela Coleman, but uh, those two are, in my opinion, more like genres. You know, they are categories mm -hmm. of of tarot, and so they offered more uh, more of an open field to apply one's own style and, and take on. 
Whereas the others you mentioned, uh, first of all, I'm not a particularly great admirer of anything I've read about Crowley's life. Uh, but beyond yeah. that, the artwork of Paris is so specific to her. It's not a genre. It's, it is it, you know? And I have yeah. no real interest in, in merely trying to tweak someone else's specific artwork. Not only would it be arrogant of me to assume I could even do that, but I, I, personally I don't see the point of it. She did it mm -hmm. in her in her way and a strong artistic and symbolic way, uh, I would personally see no no purpose in me trying to do that again. Um, I only do things that I personally believe I can add something more to, um, mm -hmm. aesthetically and in functionality, and um, I don't think I could I could do that to specifically designed individual decks, if that makes sense. No, no, it, it does make sense. And um, it is kind of a thing where even, you know, people, people that have tried, I have a few, you know, examples of, um, you know, people that tried to do like maybe a thought um, hybrid, you know, with another style um, and even just their version of the thought. And it, I don't know, I, I feel like it's, it's a it's a weird feel. <laughs> the best way I can I can describe it, and I I don't know that her work was kind of abstract. I think that's kind of different. I think that's more of a it's almost like her personal her intuitive um, factors involved in in making it. So yeah, I was just wondering because I've seen people try to take it take it on, and I yeah, I don't know. It didn't. It didn't attract me as just a, a person who uh, buys tarot decks to read with them. Um, but, you know, the, the other thing, too, about this is, and, I, you know, when I reference your website, you know, our listeners, again, the, the link is on the page. Uh, definitely go to it. But when I, when I go to your website and I watch the, oh, the videos you create for your decks, um, look really cinematic to me you know they're they're really i'm like wow this is <laughs> this is like good production value is the way that i would say it back in the day but like this these are classy and you watch them and even just looking at all this all the things on your website it's like stepping into a you know very real but magical world um, for each video I watch, I feel like I'm entering a new world, the world of that deck. And I was just wondering, is there any kind of, what you could say is like kind of an alchemical maybe, or maybe a magical process to creating things that look so magical to the rest of us? <laughs> no, I'm not going to claim any sort of mystical, magical input there. The um, the purpose of those videos, apart from I enjoy doing them, um, is fundamentally they're, they're supposed to provide potential customers with a preview of what a deck, an upcoming deck, looks like. You know, it gives a quick, entertaining review of the images so they can decide, yeah, that looks cool. I'll buy that, you know, when it comes out kind of thing. So mm -hmm. it's a promotion, 
a movie trailer in a sense. But also, um, I also do like these animated cards occasionally. And once again, it's, it's fun, uh, but it, it serves a purpose as well because if you think about it, at best, any card is like a freeze frame, right? It's a static image that projects a story or rather it projects an instant within a story, a freeze frame, if you will. And sometimes I like to sort of add <laughs> like the imaginary 30 seconds that preceded or followed that freeze frame. So, for example, uh, my Ten of Wands analogy, it, it, rather than just depicting the guy with ten wands on his back, frozen in time and space, as it were, if, if I did the animated equivalent of that, I, I might show him sort of gradually lifting up from bended knee to um, emphasize the theoretical weight of his burden mm. and to show his stumbling forward with the weight on his back, you know, that kind of thing. So the animated imagery kind of creates uh, more of a scene, more of a story that surrounds that, that captured image that's represented in the card alone. And uh, sometimes that's not just entertainment. Sometimes I think that sort of enriched the mood and the feel of the card that people can um, watch. And then they hopefully will remember that scene when they pull the card. Yeah? Oh, wow. Yeah. I like that because it, it does, a lot of times it is about, you know, I've always thought of, you know, film, you know, video, whatever we want to call it, animation, as being, yeah. you know, kind of the type of um, medium that has the biggest impact. You know, uh, you've got the sound, you've got the visual, um, you can take people into the story. And so a lot of that, I think, is is yeah, it's an extra bonus to have that kind of, see those kind of things. And then when you work for, you know, you're doing a reading or something and you, you saw, it's like a memory, uh, you know, it's like muscle memory, you know, kind of recalls that story in a sense. So, so I love that. And I want to thank you again. Um, I feel like I've talked your ear off today. And I'm so, so glad that you took the time to, to come on the Tarot Today radio show. Um, Cheryl Marchetti, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. And thanks so much. And I look forward to everything you're doing <laughs> i just love looking at everything on your on your website and i and you know definitely everybody get the um get to the get to the links at the bottom of the page go to chiro's website and you know we'll have all the links up there for them to see all this great stuff we're we're talking about uh today so so thanks again okay well well you know thank you thank you for having me i hope i've um responding in a really coherent, rambling manner <laughs> to your various questions. 
Yeah, I, I hope I asked them in some sort of coherent manner. It's like, here's my word salad. <laughs> Do you want to answer that? <laughs> that's, how I, that's how I look at it sometimes. But no, this was wonderful, 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 wonderful. And, you know, just enjoy enjoy your day. And, and again, you know, this was a pleasure. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that was it. The interview with Shiro Marchetti. Yes. <laughs> I was like flabbergasted. It was so much fun and oh, I loved you know, just so much of what he had to say. I'm gonna listen back to it again because I it it isn't it isn't just a person who makes a bunch of decks. I feel like he, mm-hmm. he's thoughtful he's thoughtful about it. He's he's also like and I don't know that every deck creator does this, but I think he takes into consideration you know what can what can the reader use? You know what's the reader going to see? So I, I I love that. I think you know he's <laughs> he's love gone that. to so many gone to so many you know reading events and stuff. I think he you met so many readers. He's probably got a real sense of what people are looking for because people will tell you <laughs> what they want. <laughs> yeah, my big takeaway was how humble he was too. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it's easy to kind of see somebody who's successful, you know, and if you're tarot people and you see his decks everywhere, you think, oh, wow, he's really successful. And so we we take that and we throw all our baggage onto it and we think, oh, you know, if I was successful, I wouldn't have to do this or I wouldn't even talk to these people. You know, like <laughs> we get this idea that mm-hmm. really successful people aren't humble. And I can tell you, I've, I've interviewed so many of them that, you know, for the most part, they are, <laughs> you know. So that was, but that's cool to for others to see that. But hey, um, wow! Though it, I should, I should tell everybody what's coming up on the Psychic Talk Radio Network, shouldn't I? Oh, we have so many great interviews coming up. I wanted to mention real quick that I did an update today. Has all of the interviews and shows that are coming up and a lot of other great stuff. You'll find it on the website, thetarotguild.com. Just go over there and check out the website under the news section because you'll see all the things we have going on. We've got so much going on at the Guild now. It's so exciting. What's coming up on the network? Well, we've got a great week coming up here. Our next show is Sunday, October 24th at 11 a.m. Pacific. 2 p.m. Eastern, and it's the Magic Universe Show with host Sharona Rapsik. She's going to be talking magic with her special guest, Tarot Master Tamara Kerr. Also, uh, they're going to be doing free tarot mini readings, and they'll have open lines as well. And then after that, Monday, October 25th, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, it's the Wisdom of the Soul Show with your host, Janice Fuchs. And Friday, it's Spiritual Guidance Radio with Angelic Channel and healer Catherine Hahn, and she'll be giving free on-air guidance. And then Saxon, I will be back on Saturday, October 30th, next Saturday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. It's our Happy Halloween episode. And we're going to have a psychic spin segment and be doing free tarot readings. And so if there's anything you want us, cards, what do you want to know from the universe, let Dax and I know. Get a hold of us on the Tarot Guild. 
And back to you, Dex. Yep, we're going to be finishing up October. The Psychic Spin, uh, we're going to ask the tarot, what are shadow people? I think last year on Halloween we did our ghost reel, and this year we're doing what are shadow people, and we'll see what comes up in the tarot. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yes, spooktacular. Spooktacular. Hey, and don't forget (laughs) to stop by the Tarot Guild. You know, I started a comprehensive list of Halloween tarot decks. Actually, it's tarot decks, oracle decks, learn on decks, and uh, it was huge. I decided to go all out and do the most comprehensive list that is available on the web for Halloween for decks, and uh, over 100 decks. And then this year, I I just updated it. I added even more decks. In fact, there were so many that I had to split the article into uh, uh, part one and part two. <laughs> so I decided to put the or- the Oracle decks and the Lernamon decks that were Halloween-themed on part two, and part one has all of the Halloween tarot decks. And you can check that out on the website thetarotguild.com, click on articles and scroll down, you'll find it. And uh, it's got everything on there. There's some great decks that are coming out. Some of them aren't even out yet, but I included them because you can go on Amazon and pre-order right now. So if you're getting ready for Halloween (laughs) and you don't have enough Halloween decks, check out our list. And we're just going to keep doing that. We're going to keep growing it each year. And uh, on next Saturday's show, we could talk about some of the decks. We can mention some of the ones coming out uh, over the next, you know, month or two going into uh, 2022, Mary. And we also have a link to an article I did with uh, some tarot spreads for Halloween. And by the way, if you look through that list and I've missed your favorite Halloween-themed deck, whether it's tarot, Lernamon, or an oracle deck, just let me know. I'll add it to the list. Also, if you have any Halloween spreads that are favorites of yours, I've only got a couple on there, and uh, there's room for a lot more uh, spreads. So if you have any ideas, anything you've used in, in the past or come up with on your own, you know, just get a hold of me and... Uh, I'll make up a nice uh, banner image for it and everything, and we'll get it on to the uh, spreads article, and uh, we'll get your favorite decks into the list if they're not already there. But you know what? They're probably already there. (laughs) Mary, it's so comprehensive. (laughs) It is. It is. It just goes on and on. And I look through it, and I'm like, hmm, are there? Do I need some more Halloween decks? <laughs> I do always. I do <laughs> always. Yep. And uh, like we said, you can always see the upcoming shows on PsychicTalk.net. We also have an event section on thetarotguild.com that has all the events coming up, which also has most of our Psychic Talk shows, at least the ones that are related to tarot or. The host is a a tarot master or reader. And uh, what else? I was going to invite everybody to come over and join the website because it's free, folks. That's right. Just 
go over to thecarolguild.com, the top of any page. You know, you'll see the sign up, sign in. Just click sign up. You can put in your uh, email address and a password, or there's like a bunch of social media links. You can sign up with your Google account, your Twitter account, your Facebook account, uh, Yahoo, <laughs> LinkedIn. Yeah, a lot of them are are there, and you can take advantage of the website. It's not just a website, folks. It's the world's only tarot social media networking platform. It's a full-featured social media website, just like joining Facebook, Instagram, what have you, only it's all tarot all the time. And just like those other big social media websites, you know, it's free to join. But, you know, none of the negative stuff that you find on some of these other platforms. And we also have a premium membership. We do a lot of workshops and Q&As throughout the year, interviews, and you get your membership certificate. You get access to get certified if you want to do that. Um, you get 33% off my tarot and numerology course if you want to enroll in that. And we just changed the premium membership to a dollar a month. I kid you not. $12 Build annually, but it, it comes out to a buck a month, folks. <laughs> Better than Netflix, Mary. Absolutely, absolutely. Cheaper than like a year's worth of a Tarot Guild membership is a lot less than I spend on tarot decks, people. <laughs> Let me just say that it's less than the price well, of one know, tarot deck. I, I was going to say I, I spend more on you know two lattes. <laughs> it's true. It's so true. Yeah, so co come over and join us. You know, uh, the forum is really starting to take off. There's a lot of great posts in there and questions and conversations going on. Things are, are, are really starting to snowball. So come over and join us on thetarotville.com. We'd love to have you over there. And I can't wait till next week, Mary. Me either. It's going to be Halloween. spectacular. Yeah, and I oh, you know, I should men I should mention, you know, it's uh it's Doug's birthday on Halloween. He's a Halloween baby. And also it's the birthday of the Tarot Guild. It's our seventeenth anniversary. Yes, we're gonna be going into our eighteenth year. Wow. It's also the thirtieth, that's the show on Saturday the thirtieth. Yeah. That's my son, Connor's Oh birthday who's also a member of the tarot guild he's on there you'll find him on there yeah. tell him happy birthday awesome well thanks for everybody you know thanks for listening in everybody and uh, we're glad you were able to join us for this uh, exciting show and uh, there's there's more coming there's more coming. we got pamela Steele. we got sasha graham we got Paulina Fay. I mean, th there are so many fantastic interviews coming up. It's amazing. So enjoy the rest of your weekend, everyone. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow for Magic Universe. Uh, I know we didn't do readings today because it was a listener party, but you can call in tomorrow. Same phone number, 714-816-4628. 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. 7 p.m. London time in the UK and uh, hang out with uh, Tamara Kerr and Sharona tomorrow. 
Tamara is fabulous. You're just going to have a lot of fun. Bye, everybody. Goodbye, Mary. This was fun. Bye, Jack. Yes. Bye, Bye everyone. everybody. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Good night, John Boy. Good night, Mary It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.